Hi, I'm Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Far-Fetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer. In this episode, I'm going to do something a little different and completely unplanned. I had been all psyched up and ready to read another one of my unsold Star Trek The Next Generation pitches, but... Something came in the mail that changed my plans. Uh, In late May, I celebrated my 62nd birthday. And then in early June, I celebrated Father's Day. And my daughter, Capri, got me a present for my birthday and a present for Father's Day. And it took until about a week and a half ago to actually get them. Just have to give her a little crap there. So I get this big box uh, delivered a week or so ago. And the first thing I see is one of the gifts is a wall clock. Uh, my daughter explained to me in her card that she found these gifts at, at yard sales or, or estate sales. So the first gift was a wall clock in the theme of the old science fiction marionette puppet TV show, Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds are go. So it's this really funny wall clock that has a, uh, one of the puppet characters sort of peeking at you from inside the clock. It's kind of funny, and it's hanging in my uh, office now, and now I use it to keep time. The second gift was even better. The second gift was a an old-style, old-school vinyl uh, LP, and it wasn't your typical LP. Usually, you would expect it to be music, uh, but this LP had something different. This LP is a Star Trek LP. It's got a big picture on the front of the sleeve with a scene from Star Trek The Motion Picture, the very first Star Trek movie. And it shows Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy all grouped together uh, on the bridge of the Enterprise. And the headline on the front of this album jacket says, Here are four exciting all-new action-adventure stories. Star Trek. Original stories for children inspired by Star Trek. Well, you can imagine how much that piqued my curiosity. Uh, So I went down to look at the the titles of the different tracks on this album. Four different dramas here. The Man Who Trained Meteors, followed up by The Robot Masters. Those two stories are on side one of the album. And on the side, the other side, side two, we've got two, two more stories, Dinosaur Planet and The Human Factor. And down at the very, very bottom left corner of the album sleeve is a cute little logo for a company called Peter Pan, which is the company that published this album. Now, I flipped it over onto the other side, and there's a big image of the Starship Enterprise about to warp out into the distance. And there are three bizarre aliens that I don't remember ever seeing in Star Trek, but that doesn't mean much because my memory's not as great as it used to be. So three aliens, two of them are standing together. They have blue hair, and they look a little grumpy. And then there's another dude who has sort of a pig face, and he also looks kind of grumpy. And then there's a little bit of uh, of copy on the back of the record sleeve. And here's what it says. It says, Captain Kirk, Spock, and the crew of the Starship Enterprise take you on four exciting trips through space filled with action-packed adventure, especially written and produced for this album. 
And then they rehashed the, the four titles of the stories. So I was very excited to unwrap this gift. And I was very excited to look it over and find out exactly what the hell it was. What's Peter Pan? Who was producing audio albums of Star Trek adventures for children? None of it, none of it made any sense. So I looked up Peter Pan Industries. Uh, it looks like they're actually maybe still in business. And they did a lot of albums uh, over the years for children, including several, including several uh, TV and movie tie-ins, as we have here with this Star Trek album. They also did, uh, they also did <laughs> vinyl stories for such classics as The Six Million Dollar Man and the cop drama Kojak, which really cracks me up. I would love to listen to one of the recordings of Kojak, in part because they don't use the original actors to record these dramas. So I'd be real curious to hear who they got to play the Tilly Savalas Kojak role in that show. As for the Star Trek album, well, you're going to have to listen to it to believe it. The voices are very interesting. The first voice we hear, as in most Star Trek episodes, is the voice of Captain Kirk, and he's recording his log entry that sets up that, uh, that episode's adventure. So in this record album, in the first track, The Man Who Trained Meteors, we have Captain Kirk suddenly giving his log entry, and Captain Kirk's voice is just incredible. It is as far from William Shatner as you could possibly imagine. And what's more, it sounds as though all of the male characters, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Chekhov, Sulu, it sounds as though they're all being voiced by the same actor. I swear to God, just using different accents. And his accent for Scotty is hilarious. Scotty sounds like a demented leprechaun in this record album. I think you will agree with me when you hear it. So, like I said, instead of readings of my original stories, we're going to see what someone else cooked up with their inspiration from Star Trek and see how it differs from my stories. So just give me a minute to set things up with my USB turntable, and I'll be right back with The Man Who Trained Meteors. Stardate 95.801. The Starship Enterprise has entered the Pilar solar system, a warm, comfortable realm with 12 planets revolving around a medium-sized yellow sun. Our mission is to check the colonists of Perinda 4, a new Federation-settled planet. According to Starbase's last report, the world is one of the richest, lushest, most peaceful settlements in the known universe. Mr. Spock, what's wrong? What is going on? A Code 1 distress signal from the garden planet of Perinda 4, Captain. According to my sensors and calculations, they are on a collision course with an entire fleet of space debris. What? Meteors, Captain. A whole peck of them, all heading for the capital colony of Perinda City. Mr. Sulu, please phase out the alarm signal. Mr. Spock, is this a natural occurrence? Perinda 4 lies just inside an unusually busy space debris zone. Meteor activity here far exceeds that of Earth, but not to a dangerous degree. Debris zone? Meteor activity? Not dangerous? Makes sense, man. Mr. Scott, Earth scientists say that as many as 200 million visible meteors enter the planet's atmosphere every day. 
air friction heats them to approximately 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and they burn up at an altitude of 30 to 50 miles. That is why they are called meteors. Pieces of space debris that hit the Earth's surface are called meteorites. Please delay the lecture if you would, Mr. Spock. What is happening on Perinda 4? According to my findings, Captain, Perinda 4 is the target for a huge amount of meteors which are about to become meteorites. Mr. Chekhov! Establish visual contact. Communications officer Uhura, establish planetside communication. Mr. Sulu, sound red alert. Mr. Spock, how long before the meteorites hit? Eight seconds, Captain. Six, five, four, three, two. The Enterprise crew watch in numb horror as the capital city is devastated on their view screens. The huge hunks of space rock grew so hot they glow with a brilliant white and orange light before smashing into the tiny buildings on the planet, sending sweeping clouds of debris flying everywhere. The pounding, deadly rain continued for 30 frightening seconds, then ceased as quickly as it had started. But Perinda City was no more. Enterprise, Starship Enterprise, please come in. This is Perinda City calling. Enterprise, please. The media's nearly destroyed the planet's communication antenna. I'm losing the signal. Perinda 4, this is James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. Are you all right? What happened? Where are you? Madman, threat, destroyed the city in other ground shell. Please help us. Great danger. and I could not maintain the communications link. It's all right, Lieutenant Uhura. Mr. Spock, those meteorites have destroyed a city it took honest, hard-working Federation colonists years to build. I can understand the great loss, Captain, but there is no need to generate unnecessary emotion. The question is, what do we do about it now? What we do, Mr. Spock, is proceed with caution. The message said something about a madman and a threat. Captain, you can't mean to say we're just going to sit here and do nothing? Indeed not, engineer. But it will do no one any good to rush off into a possible trap. Scotty, you monitor us with the Enterprise's sensors. Sulu, Chekhov, keep the phaser banks and photon torpedoes armed and ready. Uhura, you lock the ship's beams with my communicator. Mr. Spock, you come with me to the transporter room. We're beaming down to Perinda 4. The sight that assailed Captain Kirk's eyes when he and his first mate materialized on the planet filled his heart with sorrow. The once proud, once beautiful capital city lay about their feet in dust and rubble. Even as they watched the mournful winds creating dark piles of dirt everywhere, the dazed Perinda populace started stumbling out of their underground shelters. Jim, Jim, thank heaven you're here. Tulin, Tulin Yorker. How did this happen? As Federation appointed governor of the settlement, I, I knew there would be troubles, but not this, not this. Try to keep your emotions in check, Governor Yorker. Do you know why these exceptionally large meteorites struck so exactly? A madman. A madman threatened us with complete destruction unless we evacuated this planet. But that's absurd. How could anything, let alone one man, control a massive group of meteors and cause them to strike at one place? one time. I don't know, I don't know, I tell you. All I know is that starting just a few weeks ago, we received the first of many threats over our communicators. Threats to leave this planet forever or die. I didn't like it. The captain and Mr. Spock on the planet alone. He could mean trouble. I'll tell you that, Doctor. Now, don't worry, Scotty. Our phases are locked on target. The transporter room is tracking their every move, and Lieutenant Uhura is in constant communications. Aye, I know all that, Doctor, but it doesn't set my mind at ease. Lieutenant Uhura, any message yet? There is a signal coming in, Mr. Scott. The captain? No, sir. 
As amazing as this may seem, the signal is coming from the middle of a meteor swarm outside the planet's atmosphere. But, but that can't be. Rocks can't talk. I'm sorry, Mr. Scott, but that is what my readings say. Establish contact, Lieutenant. Let's see what this rock has to say. Around her end of four, or risk total destruction. I will not warn you again. This is not a joke. You must leave this area of space and never come back, or else you will all be dashed into a million pieces. You hear me? This is your only warning. Leave or die. Dr. McCoy, quickly take the command chair. Lieutenant Uhura, pinpoint the source of this message. Scotty, where are you going? My good doctor, I do believe we stumbled on the true cause of the Perinda 4 attack. If we can just trace the signal, we'll know where to find the men responsible for all the destruction. But, Mr. Scott, my equipment is not sophisticated enough to trace the car. Aye, I know, woman, but I know where there's some equipment that is. Where, Scotty, where? In my engineering room, Doctor. I'm going there as fast as a ship's elevator can take me. Sit tight, my fellows. I'm going to find out who's behind this meteor attack. The able engineer was as good as his word. Within minutes of entering his incredibly complex engineering section, filled with the most advanced machinery the universe had ever seen, the madman's signal was traced. As soon as they were given the news, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock joined their Scottish friend on board an Enterprise shuttlecraft, quickly heading for the source of the threats. Their destination, a huge meteor in the center of a huge meteor swarm just outside Perinda 4's atmosphere. to say that a maniac has been able to guide swarms of meteors like trained pets and he lives on a meteor himself? Not on a meteor, Captain. In a meteor. Hi, Captain. I discovered that the signal came from under this gigantic meteor surface. He must have hollowed it out somehow and set up an orbit and homestead. Orbiting? Hmm. Yes, Captain. Meteors, as you know, travel in circular orbits around the sun like planets do. To make them leave their path would take incredible power. Scotty, could you tell if there is any advanced machinery inside the meteor along with this madman? Ah, no, Captain. The meteors are made up of many minerals mixed with iron, copper, and sulfur. I couldn't tell what was inside the meteor and what was just rock. Very well, Mr. Scott, but please pay a little more attention to the shuttle's flying controls. One mistake and we will be smashed into dust. Now, don't you go worrying, Mr. Spock. I was flying these little darlings when you were but a wee lad. No meteor will ever get the best of Montgomery, Scott. <laughs> Once more, the noble engineer proved more than able. In moments, the trio found themselves safely landed on the surface of the hollow meteor. But just as they were about to put on spacesuits to investigate the airless globe, a soft but sinister voice came over their communicators. Welcome to Terranius, gentlemen. Welcome to my planet. No need to wear bulky spacesuits. I will simply guide your craft into my underground realm where there is plenty of air to spare. Plenty of air. Please sit down, my uninvited prisoners. I mean, visitors. You shall not find me a dull host. Achman, he knew we were coming all along. What should we do, Captain? Take it easy, Scotty. There's nothing to do. We'll see what this man has on his mind. But remember, the Enterprise's weaponry is trained on this meteor. One false move and we can blow it into eternity. Somehow, Captain, that does not make me feel safe. After all, we too are on this meteor. What the? The entire shuttle is moving and the engine isn't even on. Mr. Spock. Can you locate any equipment that might be moving us on your sensors? No, Captain. It seems that a force field has picked up our ship as if it were a feather and is bringing it into a cave on the meteor's surface. I can't fight it, Captain. I can't control the ship. But if no equipment or machinery is guiding us, how is this being done? What force could control a Federation shuttle as if it were a toy? I am that force, Captain Kirk. I can read your minds. I can control your puny ship. I can do anything. Prepare to meet your destiny, gentlemen. We've stopped. It seems as if we have arrived, Captain. Yes. Open the hatch, Mr. Scott. But let's see what our destiny looks like. 
Greetings, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Engineering Officer Scott. I am Turanius, ruler of this world, and soon to be emperor of all space. Emperor? Why, you little bald runabout with a old weasel. You have a lot to answer to, man, about destroying a Federation outpost on Parinda 4. Silence! You do not understand. No one understands that I deserve to rule. I have the power. Indeed. And what exactly is this power, may I ask? The power to move things with my mind, Mr. Spock. You are half Vulcan. You may have the intelligence to understand. I can control objects with just my powerful thoughts. I can bend anyone's will to my own. I can rule everyone. I deserve to rule everyone. Psychic power, Captain. Mental ability so great it has unbalanced his mind. He is vastly powerful, but he is also vastly dangerous. Tyrannius, I agree that anyone with such magnificent powers as yours should rule. But why not just make the people of Perinda 4 leave with your mental strength? Why make the meteors fall? Too many people, Captain Kirk. I could not control them all, even with my incredible abilities. So I had to drive them out. I see, oh great Tyrannius. Well, we can take care of that together. Just come back to the Enterprise with us and we can begin your rightful rule. Captain, have you lost your mind? Turn her in the forum to this deafy maniac. I won't let you do it. I won't! In a rage, Scotty lunges at Tyrannius. No, Mr. Scott, the captain was just trying... Look out, Scotty. He's breaking away from you. Aha! Try to capture me, will you? I decree all movement. Stop! You see? incredible brain has locked your muscles and imprisoned your minds. You cannot move any of you. You cannot think. You only know what I tell you, and you shall pay for your stupidity. Mr. Scott, you will take this shuttle, go back to your ship, enter your engine room, and blow it up. You will destroy the Enterprise totally. Do you understand? I understand. Go then. Mr. Spock, my motionless friends, what shall I do with you? Shall I have you dance while your engineer sabotages your ship? Or should I have you fight each other while your entire crew is destroyed in a space fireball? Rest assured that I will not eliminate you until the Enterprise is totally demolished. But Terenius had not reckoned with the full capabilities of Spock's Vulcan mind. in the Vulcan mind lock, Captain. While you know I have used it many times before to read minds, I can also adapt it to lock minds. Thank the stars for your Vulcan abilities, Spock. This is no time for emotional outbursts, if I may say so. Might I remind you that Mr. Scott is on his way to destroy the Enterprise? By heavens, that's right. Starship Enterprise, Starship Enterprise, come in, please. This is Captain Kirk. Come in. Lieutenant Uhura, can you read me? Enterprise... The other medias are jamming my communicator. I know you're locking Tyrannius's mind, but can you control it as well? Interesting thought, Captain. You mean guide the meteors through Tyrannius's mind? That's exactly what I mean. If we can get close enough to the ship, I can make contact and stop Scotty. I'm not sure, Captain. I've never tried to control a man's mind before. It, it will be painful, but I will try. You're doing it, Spock. The meteors are moving. Must hurry, Captain. Incredible strain. Terrific pain. Hold on, Spock. We're almost in range. 
You can do it, Spock. Just a few seconds more. Four, three, two, one. Enterprise, Enterprise, do you read me? Enterprise, come in. Captain, is that you? Uhura, am I ever glad to hear your voice. Lock into this signal and beam us aboard immediately. And notify security that they must stop Engineer Scott at all costs. At all costs. In seconds, Captain Kirk and Spock are back on the Enterprise. Security Officer Tanker, this is Captain Kirk in the transporter room. We have an unconscious prisoner with us. Have you located Mr. Scott? He's been seen in the engine room, Captain. We're on our way now. We'll meet you there. Kirk, out. Quickly, Spock, follow me. There isn't a moment to lose. Tanker, where is he? Up there on the second level, Captain. And he has a dilithium crystal. If he drops that into the engine, we're all goners. Spock, try to distract him while I climb up there. No, Captain, Scott, he's out of control. You'll be killed. I must try. Excuse me, Mr. Scott, but don't you think that the total destruction of the ship is a bit illogical? I must blow up ship. He's hesitating. Why doesn't he just get it over with? If I were you, Mr. Tanker, I would be glad he is hesitating. The captain has almost reached him. I must destroy... Got you. Fine work, Captain. I will drain him of his hypnotic commands now. Where am I? You're all right now, engineer. Everything's all right. I remember. I didn't do it, Captain. I remember now I couldn't bring myself to destroy this beautiful ship. Spoken like a true engineer, Mr. Scott. You're a credit to your kind. You're not just a good Scott. You're a great Scott. Oh, Captain. Now, really. Wow, they even ended with a joke, and a good joke, too. You're a great Scott. Oh, boy. Anyway, pretty fun listening, huh? That's some super efficient storytelling. You know, most stories need three acts to tell. This story doesn't have any acts. It just sort of is, it's a beginning and an ending, and that's it. Still, kind of fun. It's fun hearing all those voices being done by one dude. I swear to you, that's that's what's going on there. They're all the same person. I have to say, though, the woman they hired to do Uhura's voice is not bad. She actually even sounds like Nichelle Nichols, the real original Lieutenant Uhura. I was very surprised by that, and I thought that was pretty cool. Also, I screwed up at the beginning of this. I mentioned um, the voices of Sulu and Chekhov, and I just assumed that we would be hearing their voices since Captain Kirk actually gives both of them orders at the beginning of the adventure. Uh, But then for some reason, (laughs) we never hear their voices. I'm guessing it's because the the lone male actor just ran out of accents to do. And he just couldn't come up with anything else for Sulu and Chekhov. So they just wrote both of those guys out of the story. I don't know. I also get a funny feeling listening to this that the writers just had a list of Star Trek terms that they were asked to use in the drama to make it sound like real Star Trek. So they'll just drop words like dilithium crystal into the narrative without any regard for what that actually means or what that actually is. I don't think it's possible for the bad guy to be holding a dilithium crystal like they said this dude was, and I don't think it would destroy the engines to put the dilithium crystal into the engine because that's what the engines run on. So... 
I'm scratching my head a little bit. Anyway, we have enough time to do another adventure. So while we're in the mode, we may run over the half hour mark. I generally try to end my podcast after about a half an hour, but we may go a little over because I think we have about five minutes left to hit the half hour mark. And I'm pretty sure this second adventure is going to be over five minutes. But bear with me. I think it'll be worth it. Sit tight, buckle in, put on your seatbelts, and prepare to meet the Robot Masters. Stardate 95.9066. All seems well with the universe. The Romulans, that warmongering race that lives just outside the known galaxy, and the Klingons, the sworn enemies of the Federation, have not shown their evil faces or tried to attack any civilized outpost for weeks. The Enterprise basks in the unusual peace. But in its place, the crew finds other things to occupy themselves with. Captain Kirk! Ah, Captain! Yes, Mr. Scott, what's the emergency? By the tone of your voice, I say it was an intergalactic calamity, at least. Worse than that, Captain. It's my robots. Your robots? What robots? But that's just the point, Captain. They're not here. They haven't arrived. Ah, and I ordered the little buggers over two months ago. Now, there, there, engineer. There is no need to froth at the mouth. I'm sure they will turn up soon. Froth at the mouth, Captain? It isn't just that they have not arrived, but shipments of robots have been disappearing all over this system for almost a year. And now it seems my little friends have joined their lost brothers. Why, Scotty, you talk about the metal men as if they were human. Captain Kirk, please report to the bridge. Priority one call coming in from Starbase 10. Captain Kirk, please report. I'll be right there, Lieutenant Uhura. Thank you. Well, there you go, Scotty. One emergency on top of the other. I hope your robots arrive presently. And Scotty. Yes, Captain. Don't worry. Now, what's going on here? Any more missing robots? Captain, how did you know? What? Captain Commodore Decker calling from Starbase 10 on the 212 frequency. Put him through, Lieutenant. Captain Kirk. Here, Steve. Jim, good to hear your voice again. Welcome to the Vega system. Thank you, Steve. Uh, what seems to be the problem? Robots, Jim. Not again. You may be aware that entire fleets of robots have been hijacked in the system for quite some time. The Federation has just learned that these robberies have a far more insidious purpose than simple profit. These crooks are not selling the robots. They're training them. Training? Training? What do you mean by that, Steve? It's even more serious than you can imagine, Jim. These villains are training the robots to be soldiers for the Romulans. Lincoln! Well, that is barbaric. It's vicious. Why, it's, it's inhuman. Easy there, engineer. I totally agree with you, but the question is, what can we do about it? That's why I've called this meeting. First Officer Spock, please report your progress. Captain, I have taken the liberty to arrange a decoy ship filled with robots moving on an exact course at the very edge of the Vega system. It is a primary attraction for the cybernetic criminals. What I think he's trying to say, Captain, is that the decoy ship will certainly make a juicy target for those warmongering bunch of Romulan savages. Hardly put, Ensign Chekhov, and I appreciate your youthful enthusiasm. But if you would please allow Mr. Spock to continue. I, I'm sorry, Captain. Thank you, sir. Mr. Tanka and Lieutenant Uhura are carefully monitoring the decoy's flight. Given that each of the robot fleets thus far missing disappeared from that sector, I would calculate that we should hear something any moment. Any moment, Mr. Spock? Isn't that guess rather optimistic? Captain Kirk, please report to security. The decoy... 
decoy ship has been attacked. Captain Kirk, report to security immediately. As I was saying, any moment, Captain. Mr. Spock, your Vulcan logic never fails to amaze me. Battle stations, everyone. Mr. Chekhov, let's see if we can't put your energy to good use. We have a pirate ship to capture. The mighty starship Enterprise made quick work of the battle. No sooner had the Romulan pirate ship swooped in to attack the decoy robot traitor than did the Federation ship speed into nearby space at nearly warp factor nine. The villains never knew what hit them. Against the Enterprise's vast array of powerful weapons, the pirates might as well have been using water pistols. Officer Tanka rounded up the five Romulan crew members and hustled them down to the brig. I got all of them, Captain. There were no escapes. There never are when Frank Tanker leads a raid. Well done, Mr. Tanker. My congratulations. Mr. Scott, how is the interrogation coming? Ah, Captain, those five are quieter than a child in a closed playground. I cannot get a word out of them. Then we're back where we started. Not quite, Captain. I took the liberty of examining the Romulan ship's computer. Wouldn't those tight-lipped bios be surprised if they knew their own machine betrayed them? What is it, Scotty? What did you find? Well, sir, nothing less than their destination. It was programmed into the navigational computer plain as day. These villains were taking these poor robots to a secret stronghold just outside the known galaxy. A Romulan stronghold, eh? Hmm. Mr. Tanker, please collect the energetic Mr. Chekhov and meet Mr. Scott, Mr. Spock and myself at the Romulan pirate ship. Mr. Scott, why don't you relieve those pirates of their clothes? I think at least one of their outfits should fit each of us. Now, just what is it you have in mind, Captain? Scotty, our assignment is to break up this dirty ring of robot nappers. The only way we can is to capture the ringleader. And right now, the only way to do that is to disguise ourselves as the pirates and deliver those stolen robots to their destination. Donning the evil robber's clothes, Captain Kirk becomes the leader of a band of robbing intergalactic cutthroats. Helping him fool the leader of the robot nappers are Scotty, Chekhov, and Tanka, all disguised as pirates. Finding the pirate ship on automatic pilot before takeoff for unknown space. just clicking and clanking against each other. You would think those miserable space pirates would at least secure them. They just have no respect for other people's property, Scotty. But we don't have time to protect every single one. What I want you to do, engineer, is find the leader of these robots. The leader, Captain? Well, it must be that big robot over there, the one with the almost human arms, legs, and head. Good work, Scotty. Bring it over here, will you? Uh, uh, there we are, Captain. Now, Scotty. Commodore Decker said these robots were being trained as war machines. Do you think you can train them to be peace machines? Why, Captain, sure. A robot is just a machine a man can program to do a job automatically. If you can make them fight, you can certainly make them stop. Then they will not fight automatically. All right, Scotty. You have your work cut out for you. Make sure these robots will not fight. With pleasure, Captain. Captain, we have just entered unknown, unexplored regions outside the galaxy. Don't worry, Ensign. The ship will bring us to our destination safely. But what happens when we get there, Jim? I bet the place will be crawling with Romulans. Crawling? With those bloodthirsty beasts? By the stars, Captain, will we ever get that alive? If my plan works, Mr. Chekhov, we will. I only hope Mr. Scott is a fast worker. By all that's good in the galaxy, we're there already. Jim, the super-secret robot outpost is a small moon on the edge of the Federation galaxy. Only the Klingons would have the goal to make a robot attack army right under our very noses. Yes, Mr. Chekhov. Curse those Romulans. Scotty, have you finished yet? Not yet, Captain, but I'm going as fast as I can. I only have two hands. Hurry, Engineer. Our lives depend on you. Pirate ship Romulus II. Come in. Do you read me, Romulus II? The all-powerful, almighty Romulan Empire demands your reply. Captain Kirk, your orders? Answer them, Mr. Tanker. 
Romulus 2 reporting, all-powerful Romulan Empire. We are coming in for a landing. Excellent. With your shipment of robots, we have enough metal warriors to attack Star Base 10 and destroy it utterly. Hurry, Romulus 2, so we can begin our complete annihilation of the Federation of Planets. Welcome to the Romulus Moon Base, my dear pirates. I am Pragmar, the leader of the Romulan Robot Army. Please, show me my new metal fighters. Thank you, O oh great Pragmar. I am Jim Kirk, leader of these pirates. My first mate, Scotty, will show you the new robot leader. Here he is, O oh great Pragmar. This robot is specially programmed to lead the rest of the robots on a horrible killing attack. Why? Why, it is magnificent. So big, so lifelike. It will make a perfect metal commander to control the other robots. What do you call it? He, I mean, it uh, is called uh, Mastero. Yes, that's it, Mastero. Superb! Mastero, as the leader of the Romulan robot army, I command you, make your warriors ready for immediate attack. Yes, my mighty leader. You mean you're going to attack now without planning? We have already planned. The plan is programmed into every one of my thousand robots. We will not hesitate. We will destroy the Federation now. Please stay where you are, Jim Kirk. I will prepare my fellow Romulans. Scotty, did you finish your work in time? I don't know, Captain. I tried, I tried like the Dickens, but I can't be sure. There was so much to do. I only hope for our sakes and the sake of the Federation we succeeded. Captain, Pragmire is coming back, and he's bringing a whole bunch of Romulans and robots with him. And they're all carrying laser rifles. Jim Kirk, you and your men must stay and witness our final triumph. All of you pirates, come with me now as I speak to my mighty army. My fellow Romulans, I am your leader, Pragmar. Too long have we suffered under the success of the Federation of Planets. Too long have we tried to extend our glorious empire out to the stars, only to be driven back by the starships of the Federation. Too long has the Federation defeated us. Today, we will be the victors! Today, my fellow Romulans, we will totally destroy Federation Starbase 10. We will destroy it with the help of our fellow warriors, the Romulan Robot Army, and its mighty leader, Master. Scotty, I sure hope you had enough time. So do I, Captain, so do I. We'll soon find out, Captain, look. Suddenly, from all directions, came row upon row of shiny marching metal men. The robots each held a long, nasty-looking laser rifle in one of their metal claws. And leading them all was the huge, gleaming figure of Mastero, its big steel head looking the most evil and dangerous of all. They're lining up, Captain. They're lining up, just like human soldiers. Hush, my pregnant right here. Quiet, both of Mastero's about to speak. My robot friends, we are on a mission of destruction. We must totally demolish Federation Starbase 10, but we cannot stop. There are programming states that we must go on. We must destroy the entire Federation. We must, we must, we must, we must, we must, we must, we must. Scotty, it didn't work. 
Astero is as deadly as any of them. Captain, I don't believe it. I can't believe it. I thought for sure I had reprogrammed him. I knew I didn't have time to completely change him, but I felt sure I had programmed him not to allow any danger to threaten the Federation. You mean nothing can stop the Romulans and the robots from destroying Starbase 10? Nothing, my foolish Federation friends. Seize the spies, my fellow Romulans. What? You knew? Of course, Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. Every Romulan warrior knows your face. The face of a man who has constantly defeated even the finest Romulan fighter. But today, it will be you who is defeated. And by the very robots you delivered into our hands. No, no! Yes, my fearful Ensign Chekhov. You shall all be killed by Mastero and his robots. Romulans, line up the Enterprise crew. Mastero! Yes, my Romulan leader. We have some Federation spies here from the Starship Enterprise. Do you see them? Federation, I see them. Federation men. Good. You know, Mastero, that the punishment for spying is death. Kill them, Mastero. Kill Federation men? Yes, Mastero, yes, kill them, now! I'm sorry, Captain. It's all right, Scotty. If you couldn't do the job, then the job must have been impossible. I'm the one who should apologize for getting all of you into this mess. I just don't understand it. I was so sure I had programmed them right. My robot friends, we have a job to do. Follow me and attack. Goodbye, Captain James Kirk. And attack the Romulans. <laughs> What? This is... this is impossible! No! You can't do this! You keep away from me, Mastero! I command you! I demand you keep away! Keep away! No! Easy there, Mastero! Easy! Don't hurt him! Just capture him! Capture all the Romulans! Capture the Romulans! It will be done, friend Scotty! So, it seems as if Scotty's work was not incorrect after all. No, Mr. Spock. He had done just what he thought he had. Although he had not been able to get rid of the war program completely, he made sure that the robots would not attack any member of the Federation. Wonderful, noble machines, those robots. So logical, so unemotional. I thought you would feel that way, Mr. Spock. So I had Scotty bring a friend along to meet you. A friend? And sure, Mr. Spock, here he is now. Say hello to our Vulcan First Officer, Master O. Hello. Mr. Spock, I have heard so much about you. <laughs> well, all I can say is, what the hell is going on with Uhura? When she first talks in this episode... I'm sorry, that's a completely different woman. That is a completely different person being Uhura. And then when Kirk calls her Uhura, it's like, uh, what? You've got to be shitting me. And then the next time Uhura speaks, it's back to the original Uhura voice from the first story. So somebody must have called in sick, is what I'm guessing, on the wrong day, and they had to do a quick fill-in job. Also funny and cool that Chekhov does appear in this story uh, after being a no-show in the first episode. But also, where the hell is Chekhov from? He's got the weirdest accent. No, 
It's not a weird accent. It's weird accents, plural. Every time he speaks, he's he's got a different dialect. Man, these shows, these shows, they're made for kids. How's a kid supposed to make sense of that? How, how's a kid supposed to follow along when the characters' voices keep changing? God, that's crazy. Anyway, all right, I'm done with my rant. That was the Robot Masters. That was kind of fun, especially my favorite part, the robots' voices. And, of course, the funny, funny joke at the very end. I love that they're consistent with that. Very, very much true to the actual characters in the actual series. Well, that's it for this episode. I'm not sure if I will go back to the album in the next episode or maybe do some more of my unsold pitches. But when I do get back to the album, here's what you have to look forward to. Again, the two stories on side B are Dinosaur Planet and The Human Factor. Until then, this has been Mark O'Connell. Thank you for listening to Far Fetched.